Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young businessmen, welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 63. If you're tuning into this podcast today, this is actually the week after Thanksgiving. So first of all, congratulations, you made it uh, through another Thanksgiving with your family. I don't know how you did it. I'm still trying to figure out how I do it every single year. But uh, congratulations on that. Um, but what that also means is it's what they call, uh, you know, they have Black Friday and all that other stuff where every, everybody's in a spending mood. I'm, I'm, an, I'm a marketing guy. I'm an advertising guy. And so a lot of times we talk about the mentality of what happens towards the end of the year. Everyone goes from being a shopper to a buyer. And it's those last two months of the year where everybody starts spending money, getting presents for the holidays. It's an awesome time of year, and I think it's really important with all of that stuff going on to step back for a little bit and uh, take a couple things into consideration. We've, we've had a couple of guests on the podcast before talking about the importance of uh, being intentional with your finances and, and being smart with the things that you do in terms of managing your money and how money is a tool. And I think it's only appropriate that we have another financial uh, conversation, especially given this time of year. So uh, we actually have a referral from uh, some of our guests. Uh, and I, I want to say this, you guys, are the audience, you're, you're in control here a, a little bit um, in, in terms of I want to know from you guys what you guys want to hear about. Uh, I'm picking topics. I'm picking guests uh, based on uh, things that I think are relevant to the audience. But if you're listening and you have a certain person that you want to hear from or a certain topic that you want to hear us talk about, I encourage you to reach out to us and let us know because we want to make sure that the content is relevant for you as well. Uh, so we're going to keep plugging along, bringing on guests and everything else. But I do want to encourage you, if you're listening uh, and you want to hear specific topics or from specific guests, let me know. Uh, the email is podcast at ybtok.com. Uh, you can send your requests in there and we will go from there. So anyway, those were my little rabbit trails for, for the quick moment. But I want to introduce our guest. Our guest today is named Jonathan Hall. He works with uh, Warburton Capital. Uh, it's a, he focuses on purposeful wealth management. And uh, Jonathan, I want you to talk a little bit about yourself because I know we've talked a little bit in the pre-show, but I think in this instance, it's going to be best for you to give the audience a real clear uh, understanding of who you are, what you do, uh, and uh, how they can get familiar with you. Great. Well, thank you, Evan. I appreciate you having me on the podcast. I'm excited to, uh, to have a conversation today. So um, I'm a, a Tulsa guy, born and raised. Um, I've lived here my whole life. I have a, a beautiful wife, Deanna, who has also been in Tulsa her whole life. And we have a two-year-old, almost two-year-old daughter, Adeline. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to Oral Roberts University for undergrad and grad school. And uh, I actually used to manage political campaigns back in the day. And now um, I decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I went back and got an MBA from ORU 
and then got connected with Tom Warburton, the founder of Warburton Capital. So um, I've been with the firm about five years now. I'm the chief operating officer of the firm. We manage uh, about $215 million in assets for um, clients in Tulsa and all over the country. So, um, and I also do teach an adjunct um, uh, an adjunct class at Oral Roberts University in personal finance. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was definitely one of the things that I wanted to make sure the the audience knew. I think it's important to think about your personal finances and and understanding how all that stuff works. Because if I were to think back to my childhood and ultimately to the point where I started living on my own, personal finances and everything else uh, was not something that I remember having in-depth conversations about and uh, really understanding the importance. I, I do remember at some point being in a, in a class where they talked about interest uh, sure. on loans and, and, and when they calculate the amount of interest you have to pay on a loan. I remember saying to myself, that's ridiculous. Who would pay almost twice as much for something? Uh, I'm going to pay cash for everything. And guess what? When it came to the time where I needed a loan or wanted to get a car or whatever else, I was I was only looking at that monthly payment. I was not looking at the the, the, the total amount. So tell everybody a little bit, just kind of give a little overview about that class and what you teach and, and why that's something that you're so passionate about. Certainly. So there are a lot of places in life where we probably should be getting financial education from, but we don't necessarily get it. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love teaching this class at the college level is it can help to prepare students for right after they graduate. You know, a lot of students are facing student loan situations and, um, you know, looking what kind of car do I need to buy? Where should I live? What kind of job should I get? How do I live on the income that I have? And it's interesting. We have students all the way from that want to go into the ministry and are taking the class because they won't have much to manage, they're afraid. And then some who think they're going to higher paying jobs. So they want to know how to manage their money. So it's really, it's all a relative, um, a relative proposition as to having enough. And I think you made a very good point about um, this time of year and buying Christmas presents and uh, paying interest on it and putting some of those things on credit cards. That's definitely something we talk about in the class as well. So really do enjoy just trying to help people start their lives off on the right foot. Well, when we talk about money, I think it's important to talk about your relationship with money and what money means to you. Money is pivotal in relationships and really how you view it determines your view of life. And so one of the things that I wanted to kind of talk about, and I know this is something that you talk a lot about, is uh, what is important to you about money? So putting that value, if giving to other people and investing in other things is important to you, um, talk about that path versus talk about uh, if, if experiences is more important to you or if it's having nice clothes or whatever else. So can you talk a little bit about some of the different relationships that people have with money and, and, and what money means to different individuals as you kind of interact with your classes and, and in the work that you do? Sure. So when we begin a relationship with a client, that's actually the very first question that we ask is what is important to you about money? And as you can imagine, uh, we receive just a ton of different answers, a, a range of answers, but a lot of times people come back to a few, security, mm -hmm. uh, freedom, independence. Uh, some people, they view money as a scorecard and they want to have more than everyone else around them and they're, they're you know, pretty blunt about that. So really, that question of what's important to you about money indicates, I think, 
what your financial future will look like. Um, because I think being wealthy is completely relative. It's a relative term. It's relative to what you spend and what you want to do. If you, um, if you have a lot of money, but you spend more than you should, then you might feel like you don't have a lot of money. So it's, it's an interesting question and one that I think is pivotal. You mentioned the relationship that people have with money. And, and honestly, I think that outside a relationship with God and, and your spouse, your relationship with your money is right up there. I mean, how you interact with money is impacted by your childhood. It's impacted by what kind of job you have, what kind of training you've had. And um, I think you're right. It's how you view the whole world. So, um, so I have seen a whole range of clients. I work with clients who are wealth accumulators, people starting out in their saving journey and beginning to save for retirement, people who are getting close to retirement. And I do work with a lot of um, clients who are retired or in the retirement process. And I've seen, you know, I, I've seen people who have retired from maybe a white collar job, an executive or a business owner, and they may have three to $5 million in assets, but they might spend so much that that won't last them all the way through retirement. And when I meet with those people and talk with them, I don't think they feel wealthy. Um, remember I said wealth is all relative. I don't think they feel very wealthy. I think they feel like they're living paycheck to paycheck. So in that sense, if, if you tell me that freedom is important to you about money and yet you're spending more than your assets will allow, then that's not really lining up. I think we need to make some changes. Or, you know, I've talked to retired blue collar workers who had a great pension plan and they retire with three quarters of a million dollars, but they don't spend much more than social security. And now they're wealthy. You compare the two, I think they're a lot more wealthy because they have freedom. They have flexibility. They can, if they want to give a lot to charity, they can do that. If they want to spend more at Christmas, they can do that. It's not as paycheck to paycheck. And I think that that your relationship with your money, the extent to which you control it and it does not control you, um, takes you a long way towards being happy or not happy, not a dollar amount. Well, I want to talk a little bit about something um, in your conversations with different people. Uh, when you hear those things like freedom, security, independence, in, in my, uh, as you were talking, one of the things that I was thinking about was I would say that it's possible that some of those people that you're talking to are guessing it. They're, they're putting things out there that they think they're supposed to say to you. They think in terms of money, that is something that should be important to them. And so they're saying that because there's like, Oh, I'm talking to a financial person now. So I need to kind of figure I, I need to put out there uh, the things that they're going to expect me to say. Cause if, if I just say, well, you know, I just want to go out to eat all the time and hang out with my friends, then that's not, I, I know that's not the right answer, but that's what's truly important to them. So uh, how in that process do you go about digging a little deeper and, and really for the listeners, if this is something that they're thinking about, what are some things that they can do to get a better understanding of their relationship of uh, the importance of money in their life? Sure. Great question. So, um, that, that response bias is one of the reasons why we want to make sure we're asking lots of questions. So our, our discovery process begins with an entire interview 
that being the first question. And you're right. Sometimes we'll get to the end of the interview and I'm kind of looking back at it and reviewing the answers. And I always try to listen to the interview again. And um, because we do record it and I think, you know, they said this, but their actions kind of indicate something different. So maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle. Um, Because we also ask, what are your top accomplishments? What are your personal goals, your professional goals? Do you have any unsatiated desires for shiny things? And, and, you know, I'm professionally trained to look for certain types of answers or to, to look for certain patterns or something like that. So it is interesting. And I, I think people people may truly think that that their financial plan lines up with their goals. But a lot of times when I look at it, I think there's opportunities for improvement, ways that we can help. So, um so that, that's how I would answer the first part about doesn't line up with the reality. Sometimes it doesn't, especially, you know, it's like when you go to the doctor and they ask you, so do you exercise? And you say, well, yeah, you know, all the time. How often? Oh, you know, <laughs> two or three times a week, right? Yeah, of course I diet and exercise. So it, <laughs> it's kind of a, yeah, I, I don't spend that much money. So I always kind of inflate, we always ask how much people spend and, I, I know enough to know when it's accurate or when it's not, so we, we take a look at that. But um, you, you asked how people can can analyze their own relationship with money, and I would say that that comes down to how you feel at the end of the month or how you feel at the end of a paycheck. If you feel, if you feel stretched, if you feel um, concerned, if you feel nervous, if you feel worried, then it may be that there are things going on in your financial life that if you made some purposeful decisions, you could kind of right the ship a little bit. You could make make some decisions along the way that might be uncomfortable, but might get you to a point where at the end of the pay period, you feel more confident. You feel like you're going towards a goal. Um, so I look, one of the stress tests that I use is how much money is in your checking account. And if it's a hundred bucks, you know, and it's and you're really, really close at the end of the month every time. Then maybe, maybe it's time to reevaluate it. If you have a ton of money left and you're making more than you spend, and it's just sitting there, then maybe you need to start doing something more purposeful with it. I think in one of the previous conversations that we had with one of my guests, uh, I brought up the stat, and and I'm not going to have the stat exactly, but I think it was something to the effect of that. 60 to 70% of Americans have less than $200 on average in their bank account at any given time. So when you're kind of making that statement of if you don't have a lot of money in your bank account or you don't have reserves or whatever else, then you probably have a stressful relationship with money. I think, especially given the audience that we're, we're talking to, that's probably a large percentage of my listeners. And I don't want to, uh, generalize too much about millennials and whatever else, but I have heard some things that I, I, I do connect with. And one of those is they're very experience driven. And so what they, they want to do is they'd rather uh, spend money and take more risks to go do and experience more things than they would to save in anything else. And so I think there's a correlation between that and the lack of amount of funds that they have in, in their, their, their bank accounts. And so I think that's a big percentage of the people 
that are listening to this podcast right now. And then couple that, given the timing of the podcast and the timing of when most people were going to be listening to this. Granted, we have people that listen from all different times of the year. Uh, to different to different episodes, but specifically for this time, uh, one of the things I want to talk a little bit uh, about is this feeling of having to do something. So let's say, for example, we have we have a listener, uh, or we have a group of listeners that are listening to this today. They don't have a lot of money in their bank account, and Christmas is coming up, yeah. and they feel obligated, or they feel like they have to do something for every single person in their family or friends or whatever else. And they're just in this season where they, they almost feel peer pressured into spending way more than they should. So the obvious answer is, well, you should have been setting aside money for the last, you know, four to six months for something like this sure. uh, in order to be able to afford something like this. So, so that's like plan A, like if we can do that, great. And then that kind of helps us. But that's that's about being intentional with our money, which uh, if we're listening to this and we haven't done this to that point, okay, we get that. So step two is you don't have the money and you don't want to have that stress relationship with your finances. Uh, you do put a high value on experience uh, with other people and everything else. What would you recommend to somebody who really does not have the amount of money to spend on everybody that they'd like to? Um, but feel like they should. What what would your advice be to that person? Yeah, great question. So, um, first to the the experience uh, matter. So I've I've got several millennial clients. Again, I, I do work with a lot of people who are what I call wealth accumulators. They're on the road to making purposeful decisions with their money, and and I would say that that's probably pretty accurate. That a lot of millennial clients really do value experiences, they value, they put a lot of value on children's education if they have children. Mm -hmm. um, that's something I see a lot. And believe it or not, I actually do see quite a few millennials who um, are pretty debt averse due to um, a lot of them have seen their parents' generation, kind of baby boomer generation, uh, struggle with a lot of debt use. That's, that's kind of one of the markers of their generation is um, just too much debt. And so they watch their parents climb out of credit card debt, climb out of, uh, you know, a mortgage that was too big or a car that was too fancy, and they don't want to repeat that. So I, I've seen that as a, a very common thread as well. Um, regarding, regarding experiences versus things and things that you feel like you have to do, I would say this. There is always going to be an eternal struggle between today and tomorrow with your finances, between spending and consuming today and spending and consuming tomorrow. So for millennials that really value experiences today, um, I think that's fantastic. That's honestly, that's kind of my approach too in my own personal life is trying to travel and do things with my family. Um, but the more that you save today and allow your and pay yourself first and allow yourself to um, to have a little bit of space today in your finances, you're going to be able to have even more experiences later on. Um, you're going to be able to have more experiences when you're middle-aged and have your children with you. Or um, in retirement, you're going to be able to go around the whole world if you want to. You'll have plenty of money for it. So, you, you know, even if we value experiences, that doesn't mean that only experiences today are better than experiences tomorrow. We want to plan purposely for both. Um, 
and with the Christmas season coming up, and we've got holidays, and we've got uh, things we feel like we have to do, I would recommend, it, you know, it's, it's hard to say exactly what to do, but I would recommend tying the two together, maybe providing some sort of experience for your family, uh, traveling to visit them, and maybe using using the money you would have used for Christmas presents and instead use that to travel and visit your family. Or, um, because that's that's what people care about. They care about FaceTime and quality time. And, or, you know, buying tickets for everybody to go to a fun event and make that your Christmas present. I mean, see if you can use your love for experiences to do a, a low-cost uh, Christmas gathering with your family or something like that. Yeah, and I think it's important to to realize that it's okay to not necessarily give something something to somebody if you can't. If you're in a situation where you can bless other people and you want want to make that a priority, then I encourage you to do that. But I also encourage you to be intentional with the things that you do throughout the entire year to put yourself in a position to do that. I, I would say if, if I'm throwing some advice into this to kind of piggyback on what you're saying – is it's not worth the long-term debt to have that real short burst of um, experience in terms of giving that gift, seeing the reaction on the face and whatever else. I think it's going to have more value to you the next time around when you are able to do something like that um, because you'll realize the sacrifice, a true presence or a true gift is a sacrifice of something that you would would have had for yourself to another person and, and i think that that's what ma- that's where the real value is for the person the real value for the experiences so uh, i would encourage any of the listeners that are listening today and i think you would echo this based on what you were saying is it's okay to not necessarily go so overboard with every single thing keep it simple keep it easy if it's something that you can do from the heart uh, that could be something that would actually carry more weight than you going to the store and buying something. So be be original, be crafty. And I, know, I know that's not easy for everybody, but at least consider those as, as options because I think that could really go a long way for you in the future. You bet. You, there are so many apps that you can download on your smartphone where, you know, if, if you're listening and you have kids and um, and you also have parents <laughs> – they will love if you just import pictures from your phone into a smartphone app and order uh, a mug with the kid's face on it or order a, uh, a photo album or something like that. And the cost won't be that great, but it will remind them of, of you and your family and how much they love you. And there are just a lot of cost-effective ways that you can do gifts like that as well. <laughs> yeah, the the funny thing I was just talking to a buddy of mine about this earlier this week and it was like when when we first got married it was it was like Christmases were great because the grandparents and parents would do gifts for the kids. Well, now we each have and in my family specifically, I have two boys, my sisters each uh, have girls. They have two. Uh, one has three girls, the other has two girls and one has one on the way. So you've gone from getting presents from essentially three people to when you get spouses, six people. And then you add kids into that. It just it just continues to grow and grow. And of course, you want to do something nice for everybody and make everybody feel special like you you did before. But things are different now. You can't you can't spend the same amount on everybody as you do. And and I've gone to the extent of this, and and basically said, hey, it, for Christmas, if you um, are debating whether or not to get uh, me and my wife a present or my kids a present, get my kids a present. 
yeah. uh, because that's going to mean a lot more to them. Just by you being there and thinking about them, it's a gift for all of us because that's a gift that I didn't have to buy for them. And so uh, just have those conversations, have, have those uh, conversations with your family, uh, with your friends and everybody else. It, I, I think people, if anything, will breathe a sigh of relief and be like, yeah, we, we weren't sure how we were going to do it. I, I don't want somebody to get themselves into a position where they're paying for something uh, six months down the road for a Christmas present for somebody else. I, I just don't feel like that's what a, a true friend would want you to do. Yes, they, they I'm sure they'll enjoy whatever you get them. But at the same time, I think it's really important to realize that they don't necessarily want you going into debt and having to pay more for something just so that you could do something something nice for them. And that, that leads a little bit into uh, th- this article that I sent you. Cause when we originally talked and we originally reached out, we're trying to figure out how, how do we approach this conversation? How do we uh, keep it interesting for the listeners? And cause no one really likes talking about finances and saving yeah. money. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure most of the clients that you're talking to don't want to, don't really want to be there because it means that they're going to have to, they're going to have to sacrifice something now for something later. So I, I think this is something that's true for most people, but uh, I actually got an email and, and I, and I get these uh, from Jim Stovall. He has like a weekly column that he does called uh, winner's wisdom. And it was so funny because literally the, as soon as we got off the phone with each other talking about what we were going to talk about, this article popped into my inbox and I forwarded it to you pretty quickly. And there's a, there's the whole gist of it is talking about debt and how people continually get into debt. And he says in the last 50 years, debt has gone from being a luxury for a few to a convenience for many to an addiction for most. And now a D a disease for all. And I, I think a lot of people have gotten to the point where it's so easy to, to get money, to get access to money. Um, and that we forget about the value of money and we end up becoming enslaved to money or enslaved to those things that we have. So uh, you want to talk a little bit about breaking that bond of slavery and some of the things that Jim talks about in this article and, and things that they can do. So I want to open it up to you. Talk a little bit about how debt has become a disease for every single person and what are some of the things that they can do to start paying themselves and paying uh, and being more intentional with the money that they have now so that they're not in a situation where it's overwhelming them and their family. Sure. You know, that was a great uh, article by Jim Stovall. And really, I, I think that the quote that you read about it going from being a luxury to a convenience to an addiction and now a disease for all, it's very accurate. Um, it comes back to that issue of freedom. And if what you value about money is freedom or security or independence or basically any other positive word, then that is, in my opinion, it, it can be in opposition to that. Um, that does come down to personal preference for some things, such as a car loan or a home mortgage. There are smart ways that you can do those, like for a home, having 20% down payment before you buy a home and not buying too much home and, and uh, having a 15-year mortgage rather than 30 you know, there are ways that you can do that in a smart way because there's, I believe there's good debt and there's bad debt. Um, if you have debt on something that is going to um, increase in value more than likely, then that's probably not a horrible financial decision like a home. 
Um, but if, if you buy a brand new car and finance the whole thing and you have depreciation in the first one or two years and it loses value, then that's that probably wasn't a smart financial decision because now you're paying interest on something that's losing value. If you compare that to, we've been talking about Christmas presents or going out to eat, an experience like that, if you don't have the money to pay for that out of cash, but you use your credit card, well, now the steak dinner, you're going to be paying interest on that for months, months and months. And what was going to cost 20 or $30 might end up costing 50 or 60 in no time because of the interest rates that you pay. Uh, same with Christmas presents. So, you know, I, I don't think that your family wants you to go into debt for buying them a Christmas present. But it's something that people do because it's so easy. It is so easy to apply for a card and get a decent credit limit and only have to pay the minimum. It's enticing. Mm -hmm. But when when I talk to clients, um, it, it's amazing. The ones that I talk to who are in a position where they have a lot of credit card debt, they feel so trapped. Um, you know, they may not be in a job that they enjoy and they wish they could change, but they just can't because they're so in debt. And or they they may have to work an extra five or ten years because they've been so in credit card debt or other types of debt or supporting a big lifestyle where they haven't saved enough, so now they've got to work a little bit longer. And it's it's I, I made the illusion to going to the doctor earlier, so I'll use another illusion. If we're if you compare it to exercising, it's not necessarily that fun, um, at least at first. But making those smart decisions and having a little bit of discipline can help you. And one of the things that Jim talks about, uh, or Mr. Stovall in the article, is making payments to yourself. If you pay off your car, then keep making that same car payment, but put it in a savings account specified for a, a car, for the next car. Or if you pay off the home, keep putting that mortgage payment into your retirement account, you know, or, or saving for the next home or something like that. Paying yourself first, having some discipline um, can make a big, big, big impact down the, down the road um, rather than continuing to pay interest on something that you're, you're no longer even getting to experience. I'm glad you brought up that example of, of what, what Jim was talking about, paying yourself first and doing that. It, and it doesn't have to be something as big as a car payment or, or a house payment. It can be something a lot smaller. Or even if you don't have those things, take it's you know, 50, 50 to 100 bucks. You just start setting aside and saying, this is, this is what I'm not going to touch. This is what I'm intentionally set aside. And I think that I think that if we become intentional with our finances and realize that it's okay to say no to ourselves and, 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 uh, um, and wait, um, it, it ultimately will help benefit you much later in the future. I, I, I keep thinking of the term deferred gratification and I don't know if you've heard of that before, but it, it's, it's finding ways to put some of that stuff off. You talked about owning a new car. You talked about uh, buying that huge house or, or whatever else to me in my mid twenties, having a brand new car and owning my own home, a big home in the, in the right kind of neighborhood was somebody who was successful to me. Now for me, it's a little bit different. Um, I don't have to own a, a brand new car. I don't drive a brand new car. I don't. I drive a car that is old enough to drive itself, and I have, uh, I have, <laughs> I have one car 
that is one year away from being able to vote. And <laughs> I, I, I like joking about that because I have a lot of people that give me a hard time about that. And I, I don't care. Um, for me, I don't have, I haven't had a car payment for uh, two of my vehicles or my two vehicles. I haven't had a car payment for over five years. And one of the vehicles I've never had a car payment on. Uh, and it's just, it's amazing to me the amount of money that people will spend on something like a car. So for example, when I, when I was young and I had a, I had a brand new truck, I had the truck payment. Plus every time I'd get additional money, I was putting it into speakers and window tent and alarm systems and everything else and and tires and, and lifting it up. Like there was all these things. If I was smart looking back at that now, I would have taken that extra funds and paid the truck off quicker. But I really wanted to have all that cool stuff on there, be the loudest, fastest, most obnoxious. And that's what was important to me. So at the time, to me, it was important. But in the grand scheme of things, I could have done more with that truck and had it much longer instead of selling it to downsize a little bit so that I could get my finances under control later on. I want to focus on that last little part that you mentioned. If if you are a listener and you think that you know, you do have a stressful relationship with money and you find yourself tight at the end of the month. A lot of times, um, I had a mentor tell me that people do not often have money problems. They often have money management problems. And mm. a lot of times selling the car, downsizing, and buying something used that's a little bit cheaper, uh, something like that, man, that can make a big difference in your month-to-month budget. Or canceling cable. You know, we're, we've been talking about millennials. That is a trend among the generation is going to Netflix or Hulu or something like that. Canceling cable, canceling a gym membership and buying a pair of sneakers instead. You know, there's just, there's a lot of things that you can do month to month, especially in the subscription society that we have where we subscribe to a hundred different things on iTunes. And <laughs> I'm pretty sure Apple gets a certain percentage of my paycheck every time I get it. So. Well, I will throw this out there. Podcasts are free on uh, Apple Podcasts and on many other devices. And so if you're substituting your subscription for something else, I'm encouraging you. You're, I'm preaching to the choir. Hopefully, you're already listening to podcasts like this and other podcasts. There's a lot of great content out there that you can get so you're not just listening to the same stuff over and over again. So that's my free plug for podcasts. Um, only because you teed it up for me. But I, I want I want to uh, change directions here just a little bit because there's one more thing that we want to talk about that I want to make sure that we squeeze in before we run out of time. Sure. And, and that's talking about the phases of wealth. This is something that you mentioned to me. And, and I, I want to kind of go through all the phases because I, I think at some point there's all uh, a lot of different people that are listening to this podcast that, that will be in one of the phases or have gone through multiple phases. But I think it's good to highlight those different phases so that people really understand um, either where they're at or where they should be so they can start planning accordingly with their money. So talk a little bit about the phases of wealth and the importance of understanding the phase that you're in. I believe that everybody is in one of three phases of their wealth management. And that's the first is wealth accumulation. That's when you're younger, you're starting your career, you're exchanging your human capital for financial capital. What you have a lot of is time. What you don't have a lot of is money. Mm -hmm. Uh, Is maybe you're out of school, you're starting your career, you're saving. A lot of times you've got little kids in this mix as well. So in that phase, it's really important to begin to pay yourself first and start saving for retirement. 
And saving for retirement is, you know, one of the most boring sounding things that you can do. But if you invest appropriately and you invest in a well diversified portfolio that meets your risk tolerance, then the effect of compounding interest will make small contributions today into very large numbers at retirement. Someone who saves consistently at a small rate during that wealth accumulation phase, maybe 22 through, honestly, 22 through early 50s, early to mid 50s, while you're just accumulating, if you can save little bits throughout the years, you're going to have more money than somebody who just starts saving when they're 40 or when they're 50. Mm-hmm even if they save dramatically more. The math, um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the math works out to where compounding interest is your absolute best friend early on. So, so, so that's the wealth accumulation stage. Next is kind of this, the safety up phase where you're, you're getting closer to retirement, you're 10 to 15 years away. And the important thing there is not to take too much risk um, in your portfolio and in your investments and because that's what a lot of us saw happen in 2008. Maybe for some of the listeners, it was your retirement portfolio or your, your parents' retirement portfolio or someone you care about where they were getting ready to retire, the stock market crashed and they weren't able to because they had a portfolio that was really, really risky. Um, there's this new creation called the Target Date Retirement Fund that came after um for the most part after the financial collapse to help mitigate that, it gets automatically safer as you get closer to retirement. So if if you don't have a financial advisor and don't have any other way of kind of working the problem, those help you to safety up along the way. Um, just adding a, a, a few more bonds into a portfolio during those years. And then the last phase is annuitization in retirement. Annuitization doesn't necessarily mean an annuity. In fact, I'm not a huge fan of annuities in a lot of cases, but what it does mean is to spend down your wealth in retirement, to spend down uh, the acorns that you've been saving all year for the winter. Well, now it's winter. Now we start spending them and figure out, do I have enough? And if I have enough, how much do I want to give to my children? And if they're going to have enough, how much do I want to give to charities? Well, I'm glad that you went through all those because I think it's important to realize that all these different phases are coming up. The scary thing for me is that I'm I'm moving out of the wealth accumulation phase into the safety phase. Uh, safety phase? Safety up. Yeah. So, um, so I'm getting closer and closer to that. And uh, I still classify myself as young. I think the the bulk of the the listeners are going to be in that that wealth accumulation phase, and I think it's important for them to understand that that uh, compounding interest. I, I'm not going to go too deep into that on this podcast. Just know it's important. You should do some research about it if you're interested in it. But now is the time, really, for my audience to to pay attention to that. The only thing I ask is if you start saving early and you become millionaires later on in life that you don't forget about your buddy Evan and his Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast and throw me a little bone because I did give you this podcast for free. Uh, <laughs> that's podcast number two plug, sorry. But yeah, no, I think that these, I think that these moments right now are, are very important and uh, it comes down to the little decisions. The little decisions, just like we talked about in the very beginning of the podcast, which is learning when to say no, identifying those times when uh, it you should invest in the money th- through those uh 
loans or whatever else that are going to appreciate, avoiding those things that are going to depreciate. Little things like that can go a very, very long way. You don't have to have the newest. You don't have to have the best. And I'm talking to myself a little bit here. But there's a lot of different things that you can defer that gratification for later on in life. And it's going to help you with your overall um, uh, it's going to over help you with your overall well-being in life later on. And I think that's what the message is today that we're really trying to get across. So hopefully, listeners, you're tuning in, you're listening to this, you're grabbing onto this, not going, oh, we're talking about numbers, and so that's not as fun. But there's all sorts of facets to success. And ultimately, when it comes down to it, people are looking at um, how successful you are uh, as an individual, how you lead yourself. And that in finances is an important part of that. If you can't uh, manage your own finances as well, and you want to become a president of a company someday, or you want to become a leader of a company someday, uh, if you can't manage your own money well, you're not going to manage the company's money well. And I think that all these things that we're talking about overflow into putting you in a better position for success later in life. Jonathan, I want to give you uh, one last opportunity to speak to the audience. You have a good understanding who, of who they are, who's listening, who's tuning in. Um, I'd love to get your final thoughts to them or something that you want to leave them with so that as they go into this holiday season or as they're going into that point of realizing that they are in the wealth accumulation phase and they need to start making some smart financial decisions, what would be your final message to the audience? Well, Evan, I'd say this. Um, first of all, it's never too late to start. It really isn't. Um, if you have not begun a savings program or paying down your debt, it's never too late to start. No matter where you're at in the phases of wealth, you're going to be in a better place tomorrow because of the decisions that you're making today. So I would just encourage you to, to at the end of the year, the end of the year is a very kind of logical time to take a look at your finances. Look at where your money went during the last year. Pull up your checking account, pull up your credit card, figure out where the money went, write it down and see if you're happy with it. See how it resonates with you. See if there are things that you wish you could do that you can't because you're spending money on something you don't actually care about or don't actually use. Um, so I would just encourage you, before you make decisions with your money, ask yourself about the purpose. What is the purpose of this decision? What is the purpose? What am I trying to do? Am I trying to have transportation to get to work and get the kids to school? Or am I trying to have the nicest car around? Is the purpose to have a good holiday with my family, or is it to buy everyone the nicest gift possible? You know, ask ask yourself what the purpose is, and I think you'll find that that leads you to smart financial decisions. That leads you to these decisions that, like Jim Stovall said, break the bonds of slavery. Um, because in the end, financial freedom and financial independence that. I think will equal success in your life. And if there's a day where you need to leave the job and go start your own business, or you want to uh, take a risk in life or something like that, having the financial freedom to be able to do so is going to, that's going to give you a, a peace and, and some joy that, that the stuff that you didn't buy along the way wouldn't have brought you. So, um, just take it from me. I've talked to a lot of people in a lot of different situations, and those are the guys that that I think are the happiest. And in the end, isn't that what we're all striving to do with our money? <laughs> we figure out ways. Money can't buy happiness, but um, 
you know what? It sure helps to have it, and it helps, especially when we get to retirement and making smart decisions down there. <laughs> well, Jonathan, I appreciate you taking the time to speak to our audience. I will say this. We did have a previous podcast with Mark Green did, did say he said that money can't buy happiness unless you give it away. And so I'll, I'll add that little uh, oh. that little blurb in there. And having the ability and that freedom to give money away and to invest in other people, that's where that true happiness comes from. So uh, I wanted to add that in there because I, I, I love that quote and I love how uh, it really helps you rethink about the role of, of, of money in your life. We, we talked about purpose and freedom uh, and ultimately peace. And I think that those three things – are things that we really should be kind of reflecting on at the end of every year to say, you know, am I pursuing my purpose? Do I have peace about the, the things that I've, I've done so far? Am I in, in the, the sweet spot? And, and having that freedom to take those risks. We talk a lot about getting outside of your comfort zone and taking those risks. And when you have free, financial freedom and you're not bogged down by everything else, you can be more, uh, you can take more risk uh, more risky opportunities, and that's going to allow you to uh, propel yourself further in your career. So with that, listeners, we appreciate you tuning in. We hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving, uh, and uh, we'll catch you guys on the next podcast. Remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you guys next week. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.